Hello. We're really glad that you've joined us. We're glad that you're interested in spiritual things. And we hope that you're having a great day. My name is Ethan, and I work with the Venice Church of Christ. We're disciples making disciples in the west side of Los Angeles. And we're glad that you've joined us as we continue exploring wisdom from Ecclesiastes. As the preacher says in Ecclesiastes, the second chapter, I said in my heart, Come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly, till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born into my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the children of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity, and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So I turned to consider wisdom, and madness, and folly. For what can a man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, What happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I become so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For the wise is as of the fool. There is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been for long forgotten. How the wise die is just like the fool. So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after wind. I hated all my toil, in which I had toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool? Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave up my heart to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest." This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than to, that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or have enjoyment? 
For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. So Ecclesiastes chapter 2 is following the setup of chapter 1, where we learn in the first verse that the preacher is the son of David, king in Jerusalem. And in chapter 12 and verse 9 that he wrote many proverbs. And as we can see from this description that we just heard about all the things he's able to do, that the person who could say this in the first person is Solomon, king uh, after David. Uh, of whom it is said in First Kings had great wealth to the point where silver was counted as nothing in the days of Solomon because of how fantastically wealthy he and the kingdom were. And he established the main theme of his message, his sermon, that vanity of vanities, that all is vanity, that all things are a vapor, they're fleeting or vain, they don't last, and in a very real sense they are all absurd. And Solomon is looking at the way life goes on under the sun, on this planet, in light of the impermanence of life, the certainty of death, and the transience of all the material things that people hold dear. And to that, to that point, Ecclesiastes is very disorienting, because the preacher is busy and active in stripping away the pretenses and the veneers and the vain imaginings that we like to believe about ourselves, what we do in life and in this world, and its uh, lasting effects, or, or as the preacher sees, that it is not very lasting, in fact, at all. That life and work and the laziness, oppression, oppressor, wealth and poverty, fortune, all these things are like a vapor. They're a breath. They're vain. They're ultimately absurd. That life is cyclical, and that there is, as we can see here, there is gain in wisdom, but in the constant pursuit of wisdom and knowledge, there can be vanity in his vanity as well. And so, the preacher had asked in Ecclesiastes 1, verse 3, what does man get for all the toil with which he toils on the earth? And so in chapter 2, he's looking more toward uh, pleasure and labor and getting back to that question in a much more thorough way. And so he talks about pleasure as he begins chapter 2. He he says he was going to take hold of it. Uh, He saw that it was vanity. He starts off that way. And he said that laughter is mad and pleasure, uh, what use is it? What benefit does it provide in the end? Why is that? Well, he went and lived it to the full. He went and had all the things you could possibly imagine having. He had the good life. He had houses. He had vineyards. He had gardens and pools. He had slaves, herds of animals, silver, gold, and even concubines. Even women for his pleasure. And when Solomon says that he surpassed all that came before him in Jerusalem, he's not being overly immodest. That is absolutely what he did. In fact, uh, he surpassed all that would come after him in Jerusalem. And he maintained his wisdom. So he did anything he wanted to do, and yet he saw in the end it was heaven, it was vanity or vapor, that it was, as he says, a striving after wind. 
3,000 years later, we can't find a whole lot of evidence for Solomon's existence in the ancient Near Eastern world. Uh, some have used this to say that the biblical account has exaggerated uh, the claims of what he did and, and who he is and what he's about. But the fact that that is a possibility shows that everything that Solomon says is true because all these things that Solomon did, in fact, there's no evidence of it anymore. We may find a scrap here or there. We may continue to find a few scraps here or there in, in Israel and Judea area. But it's all gone. Everything that Psalm worked for, it's all gone. It, it doesn't last. Nothing that he had done in, in, in those terms lasted. And so he saw the end of it, that it was not lasting. He then turns to wisdom and folly. And he does see the benefit in wisdom. Because as light is better than darkness, and the wise walk properly, the fool stumbles blindly. So he understands the value of wisdom, but nevertheless, he's very sore vexed by the fact that the wise and the fool both die. And that not only do they die, but the wise man is not remembered, and the fool is not remembered. And so he has to ask, well, what, why is it better to have wisdom? Well, it's really, in a, in a very true way, a vain matter. And so the preacher hates life because of that burden under the sun, that everything we do, all this effort that is expended is in the in the end for for naught. That it's a vanity, a striving after wind. And he then has that parallelism. He hates life, else hates his labor because it must be left to another. In verse eighteen, and the preacher meditates on, on the nature of inheritance. You know, you you work hard in your life, but your son could be foolish or wise, and no matter what happens, the father has no control over it because he's dead. A skillful man can prosper, but is left to one who's done nothing to earn it, and that's a vanity and a great evil. And Solomon can think about how David, his father, left him the inheritance, and by all rights Solomon managed it well, but his son Rehoboam would ultimately squander all of it, to the point where Judah was an impoverished nation because it was despoiled by its opponents. And so that became quite true in his own situation. And so we have that question again. What does man get for all the work that he does? Because if you go through your life and you work and work and work and there's no rest for the heart, there's, that's just a vanity. It's a, it's, it's a breath. It's a vapor. And it, it's a good thing to remember because how many things that we worry about do they have lasting significance? A lot of times most of the things we worry about don't. And that's what the preacher is getting after. And so he establishes what's good for people. To eat and drink, find enjoyment and toil. That this is from the hand of God. That God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy to those who please him. But sinners only collect and gather to see it given to those who please God. And that is a vanity, a striving after wind. And so the preacher considers the end of pleasure and labor. And he establishes in the end to be wise, to find pleasure in what one does, but to recognize that it's vapor. It's mist. It vanishes. And it's a striving after wind. We think about those illustrations that the preacher uses and the way he talks about things as a vanity, as a breath. That, that, it, there may not be many more evocative images than as a striving after wind. Think about that for a second. To strive after the wind. If you run after trying to catch the wind. Sometimes you, know, you see little children do that, right? Uh, they're enamored with this wind blowing, so they try to you know, reach out their hands to catch it. And of course, there's nothing to catch. You can't catch and hold, lay hold of the wind. 
you can run after it, you can pursue it, but you, you'll never catch it. You can't hold it back. And even if you somehow could try to hold the wind back, it just becomes air. It just vanishes away. And so it's a very evocative illustration. We don't want to think about it this way, but the striving after wind, that so much of what is expended by humans and the ends to which they're seeking is just, it, it's, it's fleeting. It's like running after the wind. If you are trying to just find pleasure and make pleasure the aim of life or, or labor, uh, anything under the sun is striving after wind, as we see near Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Because all this energy is being expended and the results are impermanent. And trying to figure out many times what people are even really trying to get is elusive. Uh, sure, they may be trying to get joy or, or pleasure or stuff, but, but why? What's, what's driving that? And sometimes a lot of people don't even know. They, know they, they feel like they need to do it. And it's not a great thing that we want to admit, obviously, to ourselves, but the preacher is right. What are we trying to accomplish with our endeavors? Do we seek pleasure? Well, that feeling doesn't last. You can't hold on to it. It's it's fleeting. It's a breath. It's as gone as soon as you've had it. You seek to accumulate stuff. Well, you may be able to hold on to it while you're alive, but then it goes to somebody else. And they may squander it, or it may all perish. So, we don't want to think about it. It's a tough pill to swallow, but he's right. Once you strip away all the pretense, our efforts in this world are striving after wind. But the main thrust of this section is that the preacher is in looking at the end of pleasure and labor. And we say the end of pleasure and labor. He's considering the extreme. And this is a very effective thing to do in a lot of situations, to see something. And to a lot of times we can justify it because we're justifying it in increments. If I just had a little bit more money, if my spouse was a little bit more attractive... Or if I just had a little bit more sex. Or if I was just a little bit more famous. And you can go on and on and on. That little bit more, little bit more, little bit more. But what happens if we take that thing, we take it to the nth degree? What's the end of the matter? If you could have it to the full, would you really find what you're after? And Solomon sees the end of it all, that it's still a vapor, it's a striving after wind, that pleasure and labor do not deliver on the worldly pretense and their supposed promise. Think about it. Do you think life would be better if you just had a little bit more money? Solomon had so much gold that silver was considered worthless. He certainly enjoyed it, but what did it gain him in the end? Nothing. Do you think life would be happier if you had more sex or greater variety in sex, went to more parties or did crazy things, things like that? Well, Solomon had a whole lot more of that than you can imagine, and he sure enjoyed it, but it didn't last. It was a vapor. It was ephemeral. Do you think life would be great if you had a nice house, added a garden, maybe a pool? Solomon had these things. He enjoyed them, but he was not made happy by them. Do you feel better about yourself and and for your descendants because you've accumulated wealth or stuff because of your effort? Your children and children's children will take it and may very likely squander it. It won't mean anything to their children like it meant to you because they didn't have to work for it. They were given it. And I think we've all known of situations and circumstances where we've seen where somebody certainly didn't appreciate what they were given because they didn't have to work for it. So Solomon is needs to be the preacher. 
that there's a reason why he's the preacher, because he is the example in extremis. He is the one who experienced all these things well beyond anything we might imagine, and they didn't satisfy. So if we start thinking that if we had just a bit more, and that would make us happy, then we're really not content. And that bit more will be never be enough. Because let's say we get that bit more. At that point, you just want a bit more. And then you want a bit more. And then you want a bit more. There is always reasons to want more. And that's why, in 1 Timothy 6, 6-10, Paul warns uh, Timothy about those who have a desire for money, they're ensnared by it, that it leads all sorts of evils. We live up to our income level. And if our income level goes up, we live up to that. And so on and so forth. If we want the fancy technology or object and get it, we're just going to want the next level of fancy technology or object. And it doesn't help that we live in a world full of forces trying to tell us that we don't have enough, that we are not enough, and we need this product or this information or this or that to make us quote-unquote complete. But even if we go and use those products or have that experience or get that information, are we more complete? No. We're just left wanting more or the next one. Instead, we do better to find contentment in who we are or what we have, to enjoy the work we do for what it is, and not pretend that it has to last on earth forever. Now, the preacher does also talk about wisdom and righteousness. He commends wisdom in serving God in Ecclesiastes 2, 13 and 26, and therefore it's not complete nihilism. It's not complete despair. There is value in wisdom, but the fool, I mean, the fool dies like the wise dies. And so in the end, it's just limited. The idea that the sinner just works and gathers for one who is righteous may see some fulfillment under the sun at times, but the believer maintains the hope of the ultimate fulfillment of this in the day of judgment in Acts 17, 30, and 31, and Revelation 20, 11 through 15. And to serve God, after all, is the only way out of the existential despair of life under the sun, because the preacher is right about the way things are if the only life there is to live is this life. But since God's existence and, and what God has done for us in Christ grounds our hope that there is life beyond this life. So, and, and so the preacher is doing still a very valuable service, that we understand that we can't put our trust in the, what we're doing today and the way we're doing it today here on earth, because it's a breath, it's a vapor, a striving after wind. We cannot trust in this life only, because Solomon showed us the end of pleasure and labor, because he experienced it. There is temptations for pleasure and work and security. They promise a whole lot, but they don't deliver very much. It's not all it's cracked up to be. That's what Solomon's trying to tell us. This interestingly, that this idea of the argument to the extreme is also used later by one of Solomon's descendants, by Jesus in Matthew chapter 16. And he says in verse 25, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, then he will repay each person according to what he has done. So Jesus here is also talking in extremes. What would you give for your soul? The world? What would you gain if you could if gain everything but you lost your soul? If you could gain the whole world, if that were possible, if everything was under your command, 
You may live well for a few years, but then you will die. It will be as bent as a vapor, a breath, a mist, a striving after wind. And now what? So, Jesus uses the argument to the extreme to show that you can't say, well, Jesus, if I just had a little bit of this on earth, a little bit of that on earth, then I'd serve you, or then everything would be fine, or I'm more than willing to have what I've got here on earth for my soul. No, that's just crazy talk. Because that will never satisfy. That's not what we've been called to. That's not what life is all about. So let us not sell our soul for temporary earthly pleasure. Instead, let us consider what Jesus is saying there, to see that we need to serve God in Christ, to trust Him, to find contempt what He has given, and to be saved, because a day is coming where the reckoning will take place. And we do well to serve Him, and to obtain the resurrection, where life will no longer be a breath, and it will not be a striving after wind. We can thank you for your time that you've spent with us. We hope that you've been encouraged by it and have come to a better understanding of the wisdom that we get from Ecclesiastes. If you have any questions about any of the things that we discuss from Ecclesiastes, maybe you'd like to talk more about some of these principles, maybe you've got other questions, maybe you just need to talk, you have a prayer request or something else is going on, any way I can be of service, please let me know. Please contact me through my website, deverbovitae.com. That's www.deverbovitae.com. And if you'd like to learn more about the church in Venice, maybe we can be of service to you. Please let, find us online at VeniceRichardChrist.org. We're also on Facebook, social media, Google, Facebook, Twitter, Google+, Instagram, um, other forms of social media at Venice Church or Venice Church of Christ. We again thank you. Have a great day.